4: Hello, and welcome to The News Meeting. Each week, we bring you into the newsroom to hear the arguments that happen in meetings, just like this one, every day. I'm Adam Bolton, I'm a veteran journalist who was Sky News' political editor for 25 years and editor at large. And during that time, I've interviewed prime ministers and presidents. On this episode of The News Meeting, I've got to decide what should lead the news, what should follow, and in what order. Three journalists are going to pitch their top story of the week to me and we're going to try and make sense of what we know, what each story means and perhaps even where it might lead. So, from Podimo and Tortoise, this is the News Meeting. Hello, it's uh, great to be back in the editor's chair, standing in for James Harding while he's away. Now, uh, Ed Balls had that honour last week and he did a fantastic job. Well, at least that's what it says here. Uh, Today, (laughs) I'm joined uh, by Marks and Andrew, who organises all the live events at Tortoise. He's become a regular fixture on the news meeting and is hoping to climb his way up the leaderboard. Hello.
3: Hi there. So, where have you got to so far? So, I've had one win and many losses. So I need another one to prove that it wasn't a fluke.
4: (laughs) Also with us, Patricia Clark. She's a reporter at Tortoise's podcast team and has led Tortoise's data journalism projects. Now, this is her first time on the news meeting. Hello. Nervous? I am. Don't be. It'll (laughs) be fun. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, finally, Kat Neyland is Tortoise's political editor. Uh, She's, of course, been busy this week uh, with her new investigation into Boris Johnson's money and everything that's going on uh, in Westminster. Hello to you. Hi, Adam. Good budget, bad budget? Indifferent budget, I think. Now, unlike a normal news meeting, Mark, Patricia and Kat are only allowed to pitch one story each. But before we hear what they are, here's a quick reminder of some of the top stories from the week.
3: I report today on a British economy which is proving the doubters wrong. A country set
4: on a path of managed decline, falling behind our competitors... The sick man of Europe once again. If they do, BBC, get rid of Gary Licker, I'm out. I'm gone. I'm not staying there.
2: This is the first strike action by junior doctors in England since 2016, with tens of thousands walking out.
3: After a frantic weekend of negotiations at the Bank of England, the bank was sold to HSBC for all of £1. More
0: than a 1,000 complaints were made against police officers and staff about their treatment of women. They're just a tiny fraction... Fewer than 1% of those who faced complaints were sacked. Dream big and dreams do come true. And ladies, don't let anybody tell you you are ever past your prime.
4: So those are some of the stories from the past week. But what do my guests think mattered most? Let's uh, cut to long stories short. Mark, in a single headline, tell us what you picked.
3: The Governor: Names and Shames. The
4: Governator Names and Shames. That's uh, Michael Gove, presumably.
3: I had to get up very early to work that one
4: out. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Patricia?
2: Well, banks Gone Bust.
4: Banks Gone Bust.
0: Mine is Busy, Busy She and the New World Order.
4: Right. Okay, She being? Xi Jinping. Right. So we've got a China element. Okay, let's get into more details. So Michael Gove and the House Builders Mark,
3: how, how does that work? So this week, Michael Gove, uh, I think it was was Tuesday, stood up in in Parliament and told MPs about the post Grenfell fire safety contract. Uh, The companies affected by this are housing building companies in England that build the high rise buildings uh, to sign up to uh, responsibility to kind of make good unsafe cladding and repairs and and make all sorts of commitments to building safer buildings. Um, And as of yet, 39 developers have signed the contract, but in a kind of an unusual sort of muscular move, I think they named and shamed the 11 uh, uh, companies which which haven't. There's lots of names you'd recognise. Persimmon, Taylor Wimpy, Barrett, Barclay, British Land, lots of others. Of the eleven that still haven't, um, there is one that stands out, which is chiefly Rydon, which was the construction company involved in the refitting of the cladding out Grandfall Tower, and there's there's quite a lot in the discussion around why they haven't signed it yet. They say they don't have to, they're not eligible and uh, but, but they're still on the list and you'd think that they would want to sign something like this to kind of you know, show willing. Um, now, why I think this is an important story is, apart from the fact that there are still half a million people in the UK in unsafe housing, um, I think... Small matter. Small matter, yeah. Uh, and I think that this is one of those stories where there's a responsibility to keep it in the public consciousness I think that there's a responsibility to report on the companies that are swerving this contract Um, the other part of this story is I think it's a a big political flex I think it's a deft piece of political theatre from Gove who had sort of dropped out of the headlines for a while. You know, he—he, he, housing is not as high a profile brief normally uh, as education, justice or DEFRA. But it sort of looks like that after a period of relative sort of quiet, Um, He's bringing that sort of trademark conviction and action that he has. I mean, like him or loathe him, he does seem to be a minister that's able to get things done. And it seems that finally that kind of that Gove touch is is coming to bear.
4: Let's be clear. I mean, how much of this is rhetoric and, and, you know, what are the consequences? Assuming these companies don't sign up, what happens?
3: So, I mean, it's it's. They're not messing around. The, there's legislation being brought forward that if you haven't signed this, if you miss the deadline, you are not able to build in at the all. UK at all. You will be prevented from bidding on public contracts. And there's legislation being brought forward in the spring that will freeze these companies out of the building public contracts, market. But yeah.
4: pri- privately, they could carry on building. All...
3: Uh, so public contracts, I think, initially, and it looks like the legislation they're bringing forward will be for building. Full stop. So if you're a builder that's not able to build. Then you're kind of stuffed, really, <laughs> because that's that screws and, your and business And basically,
4: model. this is a, you know, it's almost a ransom demand. Would I mean, that be right? That you know, unless you pay this money, yep. which is a lot.
3: Yep you can't build absolutely but i think the proof is out there that there was a lot of unsafe material used um the, the I, I don't think that anyone is questioning now kind of what the, the the nature of the cladding crisis and the scale of it and what needs to be done to to fix it i mean cat where do you see the politics of this
0: yeah I mean obviously there is this sort of overarching vexed issue of planning reform which um, the Tories kind of constantly kick down the road and and because on the one hand you do have this need to solve the housing crisis but on the other you have a lot of NIMBYs sort of you know principally led by Theresa Villiers and others Um, and Michael Gove I think as, as Mark sort of says there is is seen as the fixer he's you know he's the person that when there's a when there is a thorny issue, you bring him in and get it, get him to solve it. Um, there was, um, interestingly, an attempt to move him into the new, um, I think it was the science and technology department, but he didn't want it because it wasn't a, uh, a great office of state. And that's, that's you know, so he's staying put in the levelling up department until he gets Very something so big. Very difficult to
4: tell what's going on in Michael goes my, <laughs> my experience was um, so always interesting.
0: But he's, he's, he's sort of not afraid to... Make enemies and to shake things up. We saw that when he was in education. We saw that injustice. And I think, you know, sort of looking at this particular issue, obviously, there are some MPs, some Conservative MPs who have been particularly affected by it and have made it quite difficult and were sort of, you know, deeply unhappy with the way Robert Jenrick Uh, dealt with it initially and deeply unhappy with the the sort of caveats around the sort of, um, you know, buildings under a certain height wouldn't be, you know, residents would have to pay for it rather than the the developers. Well, the government's had uh, successively to
4: make further concessions to both uh, to the victims and and to people in in housing.
0: Yeah, yeah. And this is this is kind of further down that Mm. route. Um, You know, I think it is. It is sort of an interesting kind of move, but of course, all of this is sort of with one eye on the coming election, um, and kind of, you know, do they want to be seen as the party that's in the pockets of the developers? Do they want to be seen in the party that's helping people that are trapped in buildings and flats that they can't sell and and that that are
2: unsafe? I mean,
4: Patricia, from one point of view, it's kind of um, someone's got to pay and we're not going to pay. That's what the government's Mm. really saying, isn't it?
2: I really like that phrase, Mark, use political theatre. Um, I think that is exactly what this what this move is. He's sort of trying to take a hardline approach, um, say we're not doing it. But I think when you look beneath the surface, there are a couple of things that I would question. One is that I think it only affects about fifteen percent of the houses that are that are affected. Is that right?
3: Yeah. So um, Labour says that the government contract only covers something like eleven hundred buildings um, because there's this sort of the hype restriction at 11 meters 18 meters so but again i would maintain that for a government to kind of name and shame corporate entities in a really public environment put a really strict deadline on it with a really kind of almost draconian uh, uh penalty if you do not do this You so cannot... are there
4: going to be people even if this is implemented are there going to be people in homes that are dangerous left hand dry still with no solution
3: so it's an ongoing solution i mean it's inter- about uh, about a week ago maybe two weeks ago actually gove instructed lawyers to take action against a housing company in ipswich which had gone in and just moved out all the residents at, with zero notice um and the, because of the way that they were treating them and so legal action has been is being taken against these companies and the way that they um are operating so i think this is An example, and I'm not sort of trying to sort of do a government good news story, but I do think it's important that when decisive action is taken against bad actors, there's a responsibility to tell that story.
4: Okay, let's move on to Patricia's story about banking collapse. Tell us more.
3: So, this pitch
2: begins with the story of Silicon Valley Bank, which wasn't a household name until last week, um, but it was the 16th biggest bank in the US. It is the story of the second largest bank failure in the US and the biggest since 2008. I'll try and keep it brief and simple. This is a bank that represented, it was quite niche, it it mainly managed tech startups. I think, depending on who you ask, it managed between a third and half of all tech startups in the US. Had a branch here in the UK as well, which we'll get to. Um, And for a number of reasons, which I can go into later, but um, it made a really risky bet with all of the money that came in all of the deposits it had it made a bet to try and make profits off that money Um, it did so when interest rates were very low um, and sort of made the assumption that they would remain low when they didn't um, everything kind of went into collapse Um, it's a story of bad management um, but it's had a ripple effect across the financial industry Um, so stocks have gone down across the world and now I think we, you know as we're recording today, Credit Suisse has seen a 30% drop in its yeah. shares. It's a different story. It's got its own...
4: Well, let's get on Credit Suisse <laughs> in a moment but let, let, let's just complete. I mean, I did read one, I think Martin Wolf, the distinguished uh, Financial Times commentator, mm-hmm. opened his column about this saying banks fail. That's the whole point of banks. So why, yeah. why should we be concerned.
2: So the reason I think this is a really interesting story is because our financial system, we think that it's built on complex mathematics and economic principles, but actually it's it's built on confidence. And right now confidence in banks is low. SVB has made headlines everywhere. These are stories that you'd normally see in the Financial Times that you're seeing across all of the kind of major newspapers. People are, are scared, they're worried in post 2008.
4: People are saying that it was a very elementary mistake. Yeah, which Silicon Valley Bank made you know, which showed that it was a bad bank basically, Yeah, gambling stupidly with uh, its deposits
2: I think that's true, I think that is entirely true actually, it's not another 2008 there are a few things that made SVB unique, one is that it had a very limited portfolio of banks so when things started to go wrong um, these are all people who are already in the tech world they all know each other, everything's happening over Twitter so they're calling each other saying, oh my god, something's going to go wrong and it was just a traditional run on the banks everyone pulled their money out Quickly, um Credit Suisse has its own history. I mean, it's, things have been going wrong there for two years, but it's spooked people. It's spooked the markets, and for that reason, yeah, I think it's a, it's an important story. It's a canary,
4: yeah. In the market. yeah, this is a financial story to a certain extent. What we've just heard is a financial story as well, to do with uh, house building companies. Why has no one picked the budget? <laughs>
0: To be honest, the budget was relatively timid by budget standards. I mean, you know, that there there's definitely a place for that and thank God after the last few months that it wasn't something that kind of caused the markets to to go into meltdown because of some uncosted tax break. But um you know it's it's a sort of holding budget yeah. I think mm-hmm. you know the, the the sort of they're they're desperately hoping that the economy is going to get better, which is where I suppose this stuff comes in sure. about I mean, know, what, what the, do you the the think kind
4: of mark i mean you know in in, in the scare of things, are people going to say in a year's time that the sVB collapses was a bigger story than
3: the UK budget. Oh, gosh. I mean, if it, if, yes. if we're all living on the street <laughs> because it's started a financial crash, yeah, I think we might trace it back to this point. I think one of the... The other part of the SVB story, which I think is kind of unusual um, for a financial story, is the way that it's, particularly in the US, it's become a sort of another battle in the culture war with all these accusations that it's a woke bank it had a, an alternative structure because of the types of businesses that it lent money to and I think there is absolutely a, a need for alternative lenders but some of the commentary is that the bank's kind of culture and desire to fulfill sort of uh, uh, ES, you know, quest for ESG type policy was a distraction from making the sound. So, financial so you're, yeah, I mean, you're gripped by this story, and and, and you're I, worried. I, you said you well. well could be the... I mean, who knows? Like, <laughs> if I if I'm unemployed in a year's time, and 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 <laughs> then and I can I might trace it back to this very moment.
0: I mean, the other thing, of course, is that um, the government, UK government, recently um, relaxed some of the the rules mm. around the banking sector that were introduced as a direct result of what happened in 2008. And, you know, look, I'm not a banking expert or an economics expert, but I kind of looked at that and thought, oh, you mm. know, and and the fact is that we have these kind of protections in place because we don't really know uh, how interconnected it all is, where the contagion is. All we know is that there is a domino effect and at any point that could kind of go off.
4: As Credit Suisse done similar imprudent um, investments to... Uh, to what SVB did.
2: Credit Suisse has a whole history of of they they've been on on shaky ground for a while for a number of reasons to do with I mean everything from being involved in money laundering in I mean it's amazing. I mean
4: their their share price has gone down 90%. Yeah. from its peak, which is a 30%. Big. But they've yesterday. got a
2: lot more liquid assets than than banks did in 2008. They are more protected. Than, than banks were in 2008 so I don't think that this is a full scale crisis this isn't necessarily another Lehman and I feel like I should say to our listeners that your money is safe <laughs> please don't just like pull all your money out the bank or anything like is that Is that a guarantee? God actually no I don't know
0: <laughs> I'm Helena Bonham Carter and for BBC Radio 4 this is History's Secret Heroes a new series of rarely heard tales from
2: World War 2 They had no idea that she was Britain's top female codebreaker. We'll hear of daring risk takers. What
0: she was offering to do was to ski in over the high Carpathian mountains.
3: Of course, it was dangerous, but uh, danger was his friend. Subscribe to
0: History's Secret Heroes wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Hello, it's Tommy from Tortoise. This podcast is sponsored by EY. Senior business leaders in the UK are keen to harness AI, but there's a complex regulatory maze emerging globally. The OECD, a group of the world's richest countries, which includes the UK, has adopted a new set of principles to ensure that AI operates in a way that's safe, fair and trustworthy. The principles are wide ranging, but in essence, call for AI systems to be designed in a way that respects the rule of law and human rights and says there should be transparency around their use. By embracing the core principles of responsible innovation, UK business leaders can better explore sector-specific opportunities and emerging trends without compromising on citizens' trust. Find out more at ey.ai.
4: Okay, now uh, let's move on to your story, Kat. Mm. Um, What have you gone for?
0: So um, this is the reason why I think, and ordinarily, actually out of my tend to pitch UK political stories of course but I think that um, the the sort of overarching issue facing us right now facing UK politicians as well as as well as those around the world is what is China going to do next because they have turned themselves into a potential kingmaker a potential peacemaker um, and it's interesting to kind of think about it, not from the UK or the West's perspective, but from the world's perspective. So, we know that um, uh, we know that uh, Xi Jinping is is planning to meet Putin next week. Apparently, sort of un, unconfirmed, but seems to be fairly solid uh, reporting on that. He's also planning to speak to Vladimir Zelensky so far in this conflict china has sort of taken this sort of active neutrality role but is there a possibility that xi jinping could be looking to sort of start paving the way for some kind of peace talks he's just they've just had this uh successful uh conclusion of of talks between saudi arabia and iran the us has kind of played that down but i think probably is nonetheless fairly significant. So
4: your focus is is more on what is she up to than AUKUS?
0: Yes, yeah. Well, it's, it's a combination of things. So, so, of course, from the West's perspective, we see that uh, China is becoming more militaristic, more potentially aggressive. You know, are they looking to take Taiwan? Um, we need to m- sort of try and match their militarism with our own and that's where AUKUS comes in and where the refresh on the integrated review comes in uh, with the sort of Indo-Pacific tilt and the sort of um, slightly uh, ratcheted up um, description of China as the sort of epoch defining challenge of our times Um, although still not um, as I think some people were expecting defining China as a threat that's sort of one component of it the other component is she um, sort of dispensing with uh, the sort of previous rules and giving himself a third term, uh, bringing someone who he has a, a sort of close, long-standing relationship in as his number two. For me, I suppose the news hook for this week is A these meetings or phone calls next week but also justin trudeau in canada um, n- naming david johnston as the person who is going to investigate whether china did meddle in uh, canada's elections in two two separate incidents we already know that australia has a um, strongly held belief that that china did and that the hawks in the uk i have long warned that China could meddle in the next set of elections in the UK. And
4: what about the the British angle on this, the UK angle on this?
0: Well, I mean, this is where it kind of comes down. Obviously, the Hawks uh, were hoping for more from Rishi Sunak um, during the leadership campaign between him and Liz Truss. They both went very strong on, on how they would stand up to Chinese aggression. And I think Rishi Sunak has kind of slightly... Um, probably slightly disappointed some of his backbenchers in taking a, a more pragmatic approach. What do you
4: think about this story, Patricia?
2: So I think it's obviously a very important story. Right now, I'm not 100% clear on on what our angle would be. I'm worried that it's a bit too broad. Um, sorry, Kat. Like Patricia. <laughs> I'm getting a really bad look. I'm really sorry. No, no. Um, so I think, you, you know, rumbled uh, me relations between China and the West... We know that they're escalating. We know that they're escalating, in particular between the US and China, be it spy balloon, TikTok bans, what have you. I think the the thing I would be interested in, in looking into would be AUKUS, so the so the alliance between Australia, UK, and um and and the US, <laughs> um, and using that as a peg.
3: Mark, um, so. I think I think Kat's done that masterful thing where someone's pitched two stories under the guise of one story in the hope that one gets through. And that's fine. That's fine if that's what, <laughs> the way that you want to cheat. Um, but so the elections thing, I think, is super interesting. I think China inter- being called out by Justin Trudeau for interfering in Canadian elections. I'd, I'd really want to know more about that because that to me feels like quite a real and present sort of threat to sort of... Uh, to, to a country i think the whole sort of to use that word again sort of theatrical uh, diplomatic flourish that China's is saying or attempting to try and get putin and zelensky round a table to talk i i my sense is that the russians aren't interested really zelensky's made it clear what his red line is and he's not interested really and i don't really think it's i, I think it's all just sort of posturing basically on on part of the chinese I, I don't think anyone realistically expects anything to come of those calls
4: okay well those are our three stories now i want to know which one our panelists today would pick but of course they can't pick their own story so Cat, the last should be first as it were Who's, which of those three or those two other stories would you would you give your vote to?
0: I'm gonna go with Patricia but I'm gonna say I think it's more credit suisse than S V B.
4: Hmm. Uh, well, I mean, did, could you just explain why you go for that over over Mark's story? Because Mark is, in a sense, a more political story. Isn't he you? is You're a political. Yeah, editor. yeah,
0: yeah. He is. But we're not going to have any more houses built if the entire global <laughs> financial system collapses again. Um, and um, this is important. But I, I actually think, um, but not in terms enough. of, well, I actually think in terms of the sort of. Ha- housing issue within the uk it's the bigger issue is about building and michael gove needing to sort of um sort of uh stare down his own backbenches in getting more houses built um so although this is a sort of interesting sort of chapter in that story i don't think it's it's the housing story of the UK um, but I do think that the uh, perhaps sort of buildings of a, of a global financial crash tidal wave um, is is kind of the bigger threat.
4: Okay Mark so which of these are you going to go for China versus the West uh, or um, the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank.
3: Yeah, well, I've just realised Patricia also pitched two different stories under one banner, so I don't know who to go for. I think we've we've looked at Chinese influence. Exactly.
4: I'm, I'm going to be fair on this. I'm only going to.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to treat it
4: as one story.
3: Um, and so I think we've 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 looked a lot at sort of uh, shadowy CCP influence in various UK institutions, and I think it's a really rich. Kind of story to mine i think every, every time we've looked at it we found out more stuff so i i think i'm gonna go with china because the banking story i think yes the, the svb bit it's it was a situation which was sort of resolved and there's some outstanding questions for hsbc i guess but and the credit suisse thing i don't know that we know enough yet to understand the implication of what might happen.
4: Right. Well, Patricia, it's up to you. Who are you going to go for? We've got You've got two cup ties, basically, China <laughs> versus the West and Gove versus the house builders.
2: So I think China is the bigger issue, but I think I'm clearer on what the story is uh, in in the Gove pitch. I think that it was a... The angle on it is clear, and I, and I think I know what we're saying, whereas with China, <laughs> I think... Um, I I know that there's tensions. I I, I understand that it's a really, really important thing and that there's a lot to be mined, but I I don't think it's a a fully fleshed out pitch yet.
4: So you're going to go for... So
2: I'm going to go for Gove.
4: You're going to go for House Builders, go for Michael Gove. Right, so as I predicted, it's a one-all draw here. Everyone playing it very tactically, (laughs) uh, not putting anyone ahead. Now, um, I've I've listened very carefully, and the, the fact is all these, I think, are very good news stories, and actually all of them, I think lend themselves to slow journalism you know that that they that that they need to be explained to people in depth and clearly in many ways if you're looking internationally uh China and the West I think is you know a, a massive story and there are so many different angles to it but you know as I was listening to you Kat I kind of thought this is a kind of 10-part feature series (laughs) rather than an immediate news story. Would you think that was fair?
0: Yes, And, and there are lots of different components, and I think I have tried to think about it in terms of it not just being from the Western perspective because that's the kind of route that we always end up going down and kind of thinking about, you know, China... China's how China is perceived by countries outside of the West, you know, by by sort of African countries, for example. Um, but I appreciate that uh, uh, that kind of then turned it into a slightly wooly pitch. Yeah, I think I
4: think it just just lacked focus. So that that's a very worthy story, which we'll be doing much on. But we're going to put that one in in third place uh, now. So we're now down to uh, whether we go with the banks or uh, the house builders. Again, I feel that. The housebuilder's story is a very, very important domestic story, but my feeling, slightly, is that we don't know how far this is going to go because, in a sense, that the problem with the story is if if they say right, we're going to pay up, the story goes away, doesn't it? And and
3: well, the story might make them pay up. Yeah. So
4: yeah, exactly. And no, I think that's a good reason. But it it and again, it it seems to me that it's not going to dramatically change house building or the future so uh, i'm going to put that in second place today and i'm going to go for your your story um patricia because i think it's potentially the most important or it could be a story that just disappears so my order is in bronze medal position china and the west silver medal gove and house builders and top of the list patricia's uh, collapse of silicon valley bank
3: what do you think kat
0: devastated
3: <laughs> second place is very much where i seem to I My groove. With,
0: the, and with the results
3: <laughs> like <But> the chinese <laughs> exactly. first timer you come top
2: i'm delighted i do sit next to mark so i'm scared yeah. about the repercussions <laughs> <laughs>
4: Well, thank you all very much indeed. That's it for this week's news meeting. Thank you to Mark, Patricia and Kat for bringing the stories and thanks to you for listening. James is going to be back in the editor's chair next week when another trio of tortoises top journalists will try to convince him that they've got the story that matters most. Join them next week on the news meeting.